And I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. Dave, how about this? Let me read you something. You ready for it? Yeah. All right. Here goes. This is an article from uh, Michigan Live. Entrapment accusations and scandal emerge in Whitmer kidnapping plot case. This is uh, dated today. Mm-hmm. Dateline. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in Detroit. Or, I mean, somewhere in Michigan. Okay. Uh, so... Did I, throw you, did I throw you off by like just no throwing little? I know what I know what I'm doing. Okay, I know what I'm doing. All right. Entrapment claims allegations that media tainted the possibility of a fair trial and the arrest of an of a lead FBI agent who's now accused of brutally beating his wife following a swinger sex party are among the latest developments in the prosecution of 14 men charged with conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor. Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer. Dave, do you remember this story from a year ago? What what happened with these guys, these um, MAGA guys from Michigan that were going to kidnap the governor? You remember this or no? No, not at all. Okay. It was a big story. It was an FBI sting. And uh, now it's coming to light that <laughs> it was an FBI sting in more ways than one in classic FBI fashion. What the FBI loves to do more than anything is create these cases um, you know, through what I think most people would, in a layman's way, refer to as, uh, in layman's terms, refer to as entrapment, right? Sure. They create, this is this is old as 9-11, actually older than that. Ever since 9-11, the FBI and, and uh, numerous, you know, bigwigs within the, the, the Bureau have, like, earned their stripes or earned, um, you know, their, their merit off of these... Uh, cases where they foil a terrorist plot, right? They like they stop a terrorist plot before it's able to happen. But then, if you go like just if you, if you just check back on the stories a few months afterwards, once they've started to go to court, what you see is a pattern of. And this is not news. I'm not breaking news here. Everybody who pays attention to this stuff knows this. It's every single time the FBI found like a, a mentally handicapped, you know, Muslim kid. Or like just some Joe Bob dipshit from like the Upper Peninsula in Pennsylvania. Or I'm sorry, in um in Michigan, or, or just some generally unhappy moron, mm-hmm. and um and gave them all the sort of tools and um all of the impetus and everything that w- that you would need to like pull off some terrorist plot, and then they arrest them and say that they stopped terrorism, right? Right. And that's what. That's that's what that's what it turns out to be. That's what it is turning out to be the case in this very high profile. I'm surprised you don't remember this. This this happened at sort of like the height of um, the COVID protests in various states. I think Michigan Michigan was one of them. Uh, Wisconsin was another. Nevada was another. Where the, where where these guys were going to the state capitals. Yeah. This is before. Yeah. This is before January six. Remember. Mm-hmm. Right. This right. is prior. This is like summertime like maybe early early fall or something i i do remember it yeah and i remember this was like one of the big like week-long news cycle things and then it was gone right yeah so now it's you know it's never going to kick up that kind of dust like it did at the time that these guys were arrested but for those who are paying attention and um and and following along at home 
it's part of a long pattern. And people at home right now are sitting here wondering, you guys took a couple of weeks off. All of these things have happened. Um, you know, COVID is exploding in Las Vegas and in Miami. Um, there's this huge international uh, crisis, quote unquote crisis, with hashtag SOS Cuba, um, where Cubans, in a way that no one has ever seen before, except for the actual fucking revolution 50, 60 years ago. Um, but no, Cubans all over the island are, are standing up and rising up against their oppressors. Uh, meanwhile, in Haiti, uh, you know, the president of the country was, was assassinated. Um, and it's looking more and more like the U.S. had some involvement in that through proxies, through proxies uh, in Florida and Colombia. And then also, you know, what else is going on? Surfside. I don't know if the last time that we were on the show, we talked about Surfside, but, you know, the Surfside collapse um, uh, in of the, uh, the towers here in South Florida on the beach that now it looks like the, the body count is going to come, the, the, the death toll is going to come in at about 96 people. Um, they've finished, they've completed this, the, the, um, search and recovery efforts as of yesterday. Right. So why am I talking about this Michigan story, Dave? Sure. What possible reason could I have for bringing this random story up on this loaded day when we're kind of coming back after a couple of weeks off? I, I don't know, but I, I'm sure climate change is cooking the planet in unprecedented ways, in ways that we've never seen before, um, from, uh, like a huge loss of life that we still don't know how much really was in, in, uh, I think it was in, uh, Guangzhou in China where the, the, the flooding, um, flooded base, there was a, you know, a dam that flooded uh, or broke and ended up flooding a, uh, a tunnel and killed an untold amount of people. We don't even know how many people, um, in Las Vegas, you guys had like a haboob mixed with a freaking <laughs> mixed with a freaking like it was tsunami madness. or not a, it was insane. I was looking at the videos yesterday. Um, some of the craziest shit I've ever seen here in Florida. It's not doing any better. We're in hurricane season, but we're we're actually suffering through a huge Saharan dust cloud. Uh, it hasn't hit us yet, but it is down in Puerto Rico and in the Caribbean, and it's coming our way. All these things. I wanted to bring up this Michigan story because it's a great example of something that as these accelerationist moments are happening as these moments of like going from four to, to 10 on the dial uh, happen and things um, sort of ramp up in ways that we haven't seen volume wise uh, in, in our lifetime. I, I want, I want to try to have a, a moment to talk about like being a little critical of sources and being critical of the, of the information that you um, that you consume. Mm -hmm. And the reason why Dave is specific to, I want to start off by talking a little bit on this episode about, and, and I think it'll be good because I don't think you have much foreknowledge of, of this subject, but the, um, I don't have the, foreknowledge. I don't have post knowledge. I don't have any knowledge. Yeah. Get them. <laughs> Get them. <Get> em. <laughs> I'm, um, really interested in talking about what's going on in Cuba because I live in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority of my friends in Miami are Cuban. I am not Cuban for those who know that my last name is Quinones. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not Cuban. Uh, I don't have like part Cuban to me or anything like that. Um, I do have Cuban people in my family, but uh, for the most part, uh, I know all the Cuban people that I know as a result of living in Miami, which if you don't know what that means, that means that this is a cohort of people who either themselves or most as is mostly the case, their parents or grandparents came 
to the United States, Miami, Florida, following the um, successful Cuban Revolution in 1959, um, and, or after Fidel Castro, the leader of that revolution, uh, embracing um, communism and socialism and Marxist-Leninism in 1961, uh, a distinction that's lost on a lot of people. He didn't, the, the, the revolution itself was not uh, a communist revolution. It was only years later because of um, finag international finagling and diplomacy and, and seeking to sidle up to the Soviet Union that Castro became um, this committed uh, leftist for the rest of his life. Okay. I've never seen in my life the chilling effects of propaganda in the way that I've seen them in the last three weeks since, um, or since two weeks since uh, this hashtag SOS Cuba popped off. What do you know about the Cuba stuff over the course of the last couple of weeks, Dave? Anything at all? It's funny that this is your topic, really, for, for today. Because I was going to actually suggest to you, maybe Bird Road this week should be you explaining it to me. Because I just haven't... I You know, we went out of town for a week and just still wedding planning and all the stuff in my life. I haven't paid attention at all. And I know that's terrible. But I see it happening, but I do not know what's going on. Okay. So... I'm not really sure how far back to go with this because I feel like probably a lot of our listenership being in Miami is probably more familiar with it than you are. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the basics is is this, right? Over the course of the last 50 years, primarily immediately in the years after the uh, initial the Cuban Revolution, and then again in the late 70s and early 80s, what they call the Maria, uh, the Mario Boatlifts um, era, there were these two big waves of migration from Cuba to the United States. The first wave consisted of sort of the bourgeois, right? The people who were displaced and didn't have a place uh, and were targeted in um, the post-revolution Cuba. People who were business owners, who were land land owners, who were um, rentiers, people who like uh, were basically profit pr profiting and doing very well. The people that were that were doing very well in Fulgencio Batista's Cuba, which was very much Actually, it was a lot like what our what our United States is today. It was a very unequal country. Um, the poor the the poor of the country uh, were treated very badly. Batista was a ruthless dictator, killed tens of thousands of people. He did have U.S. backing though, and mm -hmm. um, so that's really all that you needed back then, and that's really all you need today. He was overthrown, obviously, by Fidel Castro, and very famously. Uh, uh, Fidel Castro was able to defend um, from U.S. imperial might in the Kennedy era. Uh, you've heard of the Bay of Pigs, obviously, I'm mm -hmm. sure, Dave. The Bay of Pigs was an offensive that Kennedy uh, kind of fumbled or was was forced into, depending on who you believe. Um, and uh, it was a, this turning point where this tin pot dictator or whatever, this guy who was always, this guy who would go on to always be looked at pejoratively from the U.S. gaze, uh, it solidified his 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 leadership, right? Castro, from that point, was intractable. The CIA would go on to try to kill him. The U.S. government, various other governments would try to assassinate him over the course of however many years. Um, there was this tete-a-tete -tete back and forth, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, obviously. And there's all this history going up all the way up until like the 70s and the 80s, um, the, the uh, Brothers to the Rescue Planes, all of these like psychological operations that were backed complicitly 
uh, by the United States or were like, you know, uh, fomented by the United States because same reason we were in Vietnam, we our our mid 20th century uh, position as a country was that we could not allow under any circumstances any successful socialist or communist country to get a foothold and start to succeed and mm -hmm. thrive because then other countries would uh, follow suit. So we had to do everything we could, including placing embargoes and sanctions on the island, the blockade, as they call it, on the island. Um, we had to do all these things to ensure that they wouldn't succeed. Same thing that we did with the Soviet Union, same thing that we do with anybody who isn't a willing client state of the of, of the U.S. Venezuela comes to mind in a more modern era. So over the course of this time, the Communist Party in in in, in um in China, the Communist Party in uh in in Cuba has maintained control. Um, they've been doing it in the face, only ninety miles away, under the nose of the biggest, most violent imperial power in the history of the world, and they've to do it. They have done terrible things. They have. It's true that they have imprisoned a lot of people. It's true they have killed a lot. They did kill a lot of people, and they continue to kill people. Um, it is in a lot of ways, a brutal regime, but like so many things, when it comes to Cuba, I lay the blame for that at the feet of the United States, because the United States is entirely responsible for creating the circumstances that, um, force these, you know, if you want to call them tin pot dictators, the Castro brothers and, uh, the, uh, the president has, who's followed them up, who has succeeded them, um, they were defending this revolution and have defended this revolution from outside imperial, you know, U.S., Western influence and interference. And they've had to go to extremes to do it. And they have gone to extremes to do it willingly. And so that, I think, is as level set of a, um, you know, quick history of what's going on with Cuba that as, as I can give. What happened two weeks ago was... You saw amidst all these other huge news stories that were dominating the cycles, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came this hashtag SOS Cuba story. Yeah, where there were there was a um, sudden viral hit out of nowhere with these uh, reggaeton artists, um, some on still on the island, and some who are uh, expatriated or exiled uh, years ago. It's like a big collaboration, like we are the world type thing, but. Um, Patria Vida was the name of the of, of the song, and all these guys got together. It's a pretty me mediocre song. I'm sorry for all my Cuban friends out there who like love it, but it's like it's not that. I mean, like there's like 50 other reggaeton songs that I can think of that I like more. It's not some like legendary song. It's not We Are the World. Um, so whatever, it it caught on. It went viral. It got all this um, social media play, and it coincided with uh, images. It's very rare to get images off the island, but. Uh, these images of another rare thing, which is um, the Cuban people taking to the streets and demonstrating, protesting against the um, what they still call the Castro government, even though the Castro brothers aren't technically in charge. One is dead, and the other one is like a hundred. It was this people use the word unprecedented a lot to describe it, even though there ha there is precedent. There has been uh, social unrest and and protests in like 1994 and in several other times in in the post-revolutionary Cuban history. But what 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 I saw, and anybody who was paying close attention saw, was a very carefully scripted 
psychological operation, a communications campaign, really. Like that's what I do in my day to day job. Is right. I, I put yeah. together commu- like you know what they call omni channel communications campaigns, where you have um, you know some call to action, something you want people to do, something you want people to partake in. You have an in real life version of it. Uh, you know, a leg of the campaign where there are people going to a place and physically doing a thing. Uh, you have the social media, you have the digital, you have the the public relations where you're getting media outlets to pick up your story. And that's what this was. And the more that I looked into this hashtag SOS Cuba um, campaign, the, the more I realized that it's not much more than propaganda. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit today about how if we're not careful, we can get sucked in by a lot of this stuff and 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 not see or fail to see the contours of what makes it bullshit mm-hmm. really, in a lot of ways. And um, I started kind of writing down a bunch of these things that I that I that I noticed. Uh, one one of the things that kind of struck me was there's this. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, Dave. But like when here in Miami and in a lot of other places too, when you order a rum and coke, if you get it with a uh, if you get it with a lime, it's called a Cuba Libre, right? Okay. And here in Miami, one thing you do is you know, I mean, this isn't like a thing that everyone does or anything, but it's just part of like the culture. It's kind of like a an uh, in, in intermittent little cheers or toast, right? You say Viva Cuba Libre, and everybody says Viva, you know, and that's the <laughs> Like uh, the the little the little call, and what you're saying is like you know, long live a free Cuba, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, yeah, long live a free Cuba. They're, they 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 kind of agree with you, and there are people out there um, who will sort of, not ironically, but maybe sarcastically, or maybe in like kind of a jaded way, will say like y la mentirita, which is like the little the little lie. What they're saying is that ever since JFK down the line every u.s president and every u.s politician has talked about a free cuba a free cuba a Mm -hmm. free cuba to the point where if you still think that that's what the point of the embargo is if that's what the point of you know these hostile relations and that's what this the point of this like uh creating creating this island of this like hermit island where um you know they, they can't trade and they are not really part of the first world if you think that freeing Cuba is what the goal is, that's a little lie. That's a lie that you're believing. Right. So I think that that's funny because there's like a whole bunch of those little lies baked into what, not just what U.S. policy has, you know, the posture of U.S. policy and, and, and sort of what we say about Cuba, but also what we say here in Miami. Miami is a pretty liberal city and it's a pretty liberal county it's always like a 70 30 or 65 35 split like democrat republican but with this one issue dave this is that one issue where it, it reminds me a little bit of i wouldn't even say israel actually I, but there's like these these certain issues where you just you mention that one issue and all of your Democrat friends turn into like bloodthirsty warmongers uh-huh. out of nowhere. And and you're just like, Whoa, wait, what the fuck happened to you? Oh, yeah, I'm completely anti-interventionist. I don't want any intervention. 
I don't want to send U.S. troops and boots on the ground anywhere uh, except for Cuba. In Cuba, Cuba, I'll make that one. That one, uh, you know, that's that's the the position, and they don't see. It does sound kind of like Israel. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's the same thing. It's like yeah. we don't support you know all of these horrible things except when Israel does it. If any other country does it, if North Korea does it, if uh, you know if Saudi Arabia does it, it's it's if if North Korea does it, it's it's bad. But um, yeah. you know if Israel or Saudi Arabia does it, it's it's fine. If Iran does it, it's bad. It's very selective. And it, again, it goes back to which one of these countries are clients of ours, right? Are, are, are countries that are, you know, that, that are subservient to U.S. interests. Cuba never has been, not in our lifetime, at least. So I started looking at a lot of the media that was coming out. And I saw like this one AP photo that was taken at a, a pro-Cuban government rally in Havana, right? So this is a, a, a rally that was for the Cuban government. Because what the news outlets and what a lot of the um, loudest voices on this issue have stopped mentioning or have have just conveniently ignored is that while there were these mild, like kind of modest, mild protests against the government, there were enormous outpourings of of uh, pro government demonstrations in the days during and and after this. Um, now people will tell you, oh well, Q, they were forced out there that if they if they if they weren't if they weren't out there those people know that they would have been um you know targeted like that's mm. that's the, all those people that you see demonstrating in favor of the government those people are, are are not there of their own free will which i somebody said that to me on twitter and i replied back to them with like a picture of americans standing for the for the, for the um for the star-spangled banner for the national uh -huh. anthem at the beginning of every of every um sporting event because we have this weird thing where we think that we're not propagandized that we're, that we're not uh, like held to this nationalistic um you know sort of peer pressure that we're not subject to the same shit and it is true that speech is restricted in a va far more you know draconian way in cuba that political speech and opposing parties are outlawed uh but going back to that ap photo if you go and make the rounds and do like a reverse image search of that photo through Google, what you find is, and what I found was that picture being used on social media in multiple um, articles, including multiple mainstream media articles, including the New York Times, The Guardian, Fox News, no shit, CNN, <laughs> like all over the place. Uh, and the caption, Dave, invariably, invariably says that it, that this, that this, um, photo is a photo it's and it's a, a people teeming on top of a statue it's like hundreds of people in frame and invariably every one of the captions say that this is an anti-cuban government um protest right so it's kind of misinformation but it's like an echo of misinformation i don't think that it was initially even probably intended to be that way but it's one of those things where when that when you see that mistake happen you have to wonder like if you pick at the sweater at the thread like what else is gonna fall apart right right so i, I kept looking and i kept like kind of notating all of these things that were bothering the hell out of me about the like the coverage of this of this um 
of this SOS Cuba campaign. And one thing that I noticed is that uh, all over the place, again, where, where captions or social media postings or the blurbs or whatever, where, where they would say things like, uh, hundreds of Cubans take to the, the streets to pro, you know, in Havana or on the island, or, you know, for, to, to protest this, protest that. And again, all of these, these, these pictures are framed as if we're looking at Cuban, um, Cuba, the Cuban people standing up in this rare show of solidarity and anti-government force. But then I noticed that like a whole bunch of them, the backgrounds look super familiar and the reason is because all these photos are in fucking Miami. Right. And they look, they're the streets that are like five minutes away from me, like Calle Ocho and like, you know, little, and, and all through Little Havana and Flagler. It, I, 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 there was even one where I, I ended up getting blocked by this news agency because they posted it. And I replied, it was in front of a, um, a an auto shop that I recognized that's not far from my neighborhood. And I, I replied with a picture of the, the of the shop uh, with their Google listing and their address. And their address is mm -hmm. like whatever, 8th Street, Miami, Florida. I was like, this isn't what you're presenting it as. And I was, they, they blocked me. So like, <laughs> how, how do you think that they think they could get away without anybody noticing? Like, or, or does just nobody notice? Does nobody care except for you just happen to catch that? It doesn't matter in Miami. It's it's that it doesn't matter. It's that the people here yeah. are so fully propagandized by the by U.S. Right. media and by Western media that the, there's no critical thinking skills when it comes to. And also, obviously, there's the heartstrings, um, you know, uh, factor as well, where these are people who grew up on stories from their families about, um, you know, about what a a peaceful, idyllic, perfect utopia Cuba was. Before. Just like Israel, yeah. Just but, but before, <laughs> it really is before. Yeah, it's very. There's a lot of overtones that this are very whole similar. fucking story. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it, that's that's one of the things that this is a little bit of a of an off ramp for what I wanted to talk about. But like, if you're out there and you're listening to me and you're like a and you listen to me because you listen to, to this show to us because you're a Miami, you know, somewhat progressive Democrat type. You know, you voted. For Bernie in the primary, and then you sucked it up and voted for Biden in the general, and you did the same thing in 2016, but with Hillary. Um, you might be wondering right now, like, like what the fuck is Q talking about? Everybody knows that Cuba is evil. Everybody knows that it's entrenched in blood and um, you know uh, repression and oppression and all this, all these things that you've been told because you probably haven't been there. Neither have I. I should say I have not been there, um, mm -hmm. but. Uh, and, but I know a lot of people who have, and I don't disbelieve them when they tell me and people who lived there and who are from there. And I don't disbelieve them when they say that it's totalitarian. I don't disbelieve them when they say, see, that's the leftist thing is that the, like the, the far leftist, like the, 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 not far leftist, but like the people who, I guess you would call them tankies. I don't know, but like apologists, right. Who there can be, as long as there's a leftist program or project, they, they are not going to criticize it. Um, they'll mm. have you believe that Cuba's perfect. It's absolutely fucking not. And they're full of shit. Cuba's not mm. perfect. Um, it's not a, a utopia. It is about as good as you can expect um, a socialist nation or a, a communist nation to be when it is weathering six decades of, uh, of like the most power, again, the most powerful country in the history of the world, the most powerful imperial force in the history of the world, doing everything it can to dismantle it. 
Um, it's it's what you would expect. People are hungry. There's no food. Um, there's no trade. People aren't able to you know uh, to do a lot of basic things that we take for granted. They live like a third world country in a lot of in a lot of respects. Um, I do want to point out though, Cubans do live longer than we do. They actually have a longer lifespan than we do, uh, hmm. which should say something about um, you know maybe it should cause some questions. How about that? Maybe it should make us have some questions about our uh, our healthcare system and what we think is first world and advanced and um, yeah, but. That's my point. That's the thing I wanted to get to is is questions. I've met maybe a thousand people in Miami who have told me about their in my years living here who are Cuban of Cuban descent and have told me about their specific family's history, um, leaving the island and and either either doing so under the cover of of uh, of night or you know under some sort of um, some situation that contained inherent jeopardy, right? Like that, that they were, they had to leave. Otherwise they would, you know, get indoctrinated into the, uh, the, uh, the army and, or into the military or the revolution would come snatch them up or something like that. Right. Or some, even their parents or their grandparents served time in, in prison. Mm. And I've heard all these really terrible stories. Right. And I've studied a lot of this stuff and I've read about a lot of this stuff. And the one thing that I've never heard spoken by those people my fellow Miamians, who happen to be instead of Puerto Rican descent, of Cuban descent, um, of which there are way more of them than there are Puerto Ricans. One thing I've never heard is a little bit of introspection about like, huh, there was a revolution. And revolutions are mostly born of noble and pure intentions. And if there was a revolution, why was there a revolution? Was it just that and the, the, the closest I've ever gotten is that Fidel Castro is like an evil, like a uh, telepath that can just take over people's minds and manipulate them <laughs> and make them do whatever he wanted them to do. And he like, he ran this, like this, uh, this incredible, you know, uh, he, he was this incredible bombastic charismatic figure, which is true. He was a bombastic and charismatic figure, but he just, he just, uh, manipulated people, tricked them, tricked them into doing this revolution. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think that might be partly true. But the one thing that disappoints me about all the people that I know in Miami is although particularly the Miami Cubans whose families or who they themselves came uh, from the country that they never ask, sit and ask themselves is what happened prior to 1959 that created the uh, that 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 created the circumstances for there to be a revolution. And what what burns me up about that is that I don't think most of the people who are rooting for Cuba to be free actually want Cuba to be free. I think that they mostly want Cuba to be like it was before the revolution. Hmm. I don't think that they actually are hoping for equity and a democratic process and, uh, you know, um, democratically elected uh, leaders. And they want, they want to go back to being like one step away from a colony, which is what they were. Just like you know, Puerto Rico is and continues to be, and um, that pisses me off because I don't know about their country apart from what I know academically, the stuff that I'm spouting right now that you that that, that are just easily verifiable facts that aren't like uh, nothing too controversial. I don't know about their country. None of my family left that left their country, but my family did leave a different country. My family left Puerto Rico, and the reason my family left Puerto Rico is because. In a million different reasons, a lot of them economic, but in the town 
where my family used to live in Puerto Rico, a few decades after my family was gone, they had to shut down most of the schools. You know why, Dave? Why? They had to shut down most of the schools because the United States government experimented on all the women of childbearing age. They um, forced sterilization on them. So when it came Uh time for those kids to go to schools, the schools were empty because there were no kids. And meanwhile, on the other side of that island, what was the United States doing? Dropping atomic bombs, doing nuclear testing, and just ravaging... um, you know, various, you know, Vieques and other islands, the nearby islands and um, parts of parts of Puerto Rico. So to push a solution today in 2021, that is basically the U.S. should intervene. Cuba should become a client state of the U.S. The, the Cuba should run into the welcome embrace of freedom and liberty that the United States represents. Uh, rings really fucking hollow to me as somebody mm-hmm. whose country of origin, not my, obviously I'm from New York, but my family's country of origin, um, has been ravaged by the United States, is today bankrupt and in really dire straits because of the specific economic, uh, uh, not sanctions, but these economic conditions that the U.S. has foisted upon it, right? Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is where it is today because of the U.S. So for people to sell this bullshit that Cuba needs to be uh, more like Puerto Rico. Why? Because we have we have Hardee's and Burger Kings. Because we have an Olive Garden in Puerto Rico. No, people are fucking dying in Puerto Rico right now at at the same fucking rate that they're dying in Cuba, and it's because of the United States. There. And by the way, since 1943, I challenge you to point out an intervention where the United States has said, let's go drop some freedom on these people. And things ended up better than they were before. There hasn't been one fucking time. But somehow, maybe this will be the time. Maybe this time with Cuba. Maybe if we intervene and we get boots on the ground like Marco Rubio, and by the way, fucking Democratic politicians here in Miami too, are all saying that we should do. All these, you know, anti-interventionists, except for when it comes to Cuba. If, maybe this time it'll work. Who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll our love, we'll, we'll, our pride, our, sure. uh, you know, our, our, our patria y vida. Maybe it'll all fucking like coalesce and create this, this, you know, free liberty loving utopia where people can finally have, uh, you know, their say and people can, you know, vote and have 40 different flavors of um, flavor of 40 different flavors of sugar water in Walgreens and CVS directly across the street from each other. You know, that's freedom is the freedom to be able to choose between like 75 different diet sodas and still just always buy the same one. Back to this actual thing, SOS Cuba, the actual campaign itself. I started looking a little bit deeper and I I came across this um, this guy who I want to have on the show. I I I actually have to ping him back uh, because we're having a little text conversation or a little dm conversation right now and i'm going to try and get him on the show um he's a spaniard his name's julian macias tovar and he is a um he's a network analyst and what he does is he goes into sort of like uh the 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 depths of twitter and social media facebook and stuff like that he finds the origins of trending topics and then he's able to like do these um these models where he can these these visualized models where he can show 
this thing started with this one guy and it spread to these <laughs> accounts and these accounts spread it out. So it it's it's not really like I think that social networking or social networks are reliable as like this source of trustworthy information. But a guy like this can actually use these tools to sort of interrogate the data and, and come, come to conclusions. He had this incredible thread um, that I tried to translate a little bit and, and just try to get to the, to, to, the, to the core meaning of it. Basically, he found that this Twitter account called at uh, Kisabel2009-2013, which went by the name Javi, um, was the first account on Twitter to use the hashtag SOS Cuba way back on July 5th, right? So... Mm -hmm. This account, which had just created itself, was a brand new account, um, was propped up by 1,500 other accounts that all followed each other and were all brand new accounts that had just been activated. They sent thousands of messages at an inhuman rate. They sent, they were at one point, this, um, this Javi account was sending uh, something like, like six, um, six tweets per minute at one point. Uh, so like just, just, it was, it was a bot. It was like a, a you know, an amplification sure. bot, um, yeah. flooded Twitter with this message. It was at the same time that, uh, that the Patria y Vida song started to sort of trend. And I put trend in quotes because a lot of that stuff is bullshit. It's paid for, it's bought, it's, it's manufactured. It's not organic. Um, Dave, how hard is it to get a hip hop song to trend? Like, I mean, I, unless you have, like, yeah. one of the big artists that is, like, international, unless it's, like, Wiz Khalifa or fucking, like, DaBaby or whatever. Like, right now, today, I give you a handful of, like, six different artists who are maybe somewhat regionally famous in the in the Caribbean and have, like, maybe a couple million followers apiece or something like that. And, like, what are the chances of getting a global hit, like, taking over happen, the whole internet? Period. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it did. Not at all. Somehow it did. Maybe it's just because of the righteousness of the hashtag SOS Cuba message. I think it might not be, though. Um, so what you see by following uh, this Kisabel, this Javi account, and all of his its uh, sort of like little cousins and, 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 and um, you know, associated accounts, affiliated accounts, is the creation of before any human beings were talking about hashtag SOS Cuba, before any um, media outlets were writing about it, there was this undercurrent being built of millions and millions of tweets that were not, mm -hmm. that were mostly from uh, accounts that ended up getting suspended within a week because they were, they were identified probably mostly as part of this bot network, which Twitter, you know, Twitter is pretty consistent about that if it identifies bot networks it shuts them down and, and kills out kills yeah. off the accounts i mean like but Twitter it's also how things that go viral go viral most of the time anyway tovar has experience with this and in this thread which uh, I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes so that everybody can read it if you read spanish you'll be able to read it if not you're gonna have to like run it through google translate sorry but um tovar had this really informative thread and this was about two weeks ago that he put this out where he connected all of this bot campaign, all of these this, these bot campaigns that got hashtag SOS Cuba up off the ground, um, he he connected and uh, connected them to this political operator from Argentina named Agustin Antonetti, and if you look for that name, 
in U.S. media, you're not going to find it anywhere. No, New York Times, Guardian, which is not U.S., but um, CNN, nobody's been writing about this guy. This guy is a pretty well-known right-wing uh, agitator. Uh, he, he's, he's executed similar like anti-social, anti-socialist, anti-communist, anti-leftist disinformation campaigns like this in Bolivia, in Mexico. He works with, um, with this organization. Fuck, what's the name of the organization? I had it written here. It's, uh, oh yeah, it's Fundación Libertad, which there are Fundación Libertads in a bunch of different countries. He works in, with the Argentinian one. They're all part of a network. Uh, like just the Liberty Foundation, right? It sounds just like some shit that we would have here, like in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's like some some right wing fucking John Birch Society bullshit, and um, so he was able to connect those accounts to Augustine Antonetti's accounts, and I think it's to borrow a phrase from your people, a Shonda, Dave, an mm-hmm. absolute Shonda that nobody is talking about the fact that this enormous story, probably the biggest story of the month of July, apart from, you know, COVID just exploding all over everybody's face all over again, nobody wants to mention or talk about the fact that the evidence is out there, that this was a completely manufactured, bullshit, made-up campaign. Even the live part of it, when you get down to the brass tacks, the real part of it, the real Cuban people who are on the island, who are actually being brave, because it, it does take bravery for to, to stand up and go out there and, and protest against the Cuban government, because yes, you can be retaliated against. You might be, it's very likely you will be retaliated against. Um, that's probably the part that, that makes me feel the worst. That and all my friends here who earnestly think that changing their social media avatars or you know, putting a, a filter on their on their on their avatars, or you know, pu- you know, hashtagging SOS Cuba in their in their posts. They think that the people who are running this 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 propaganda campaign are with them, and they're not. The people who are running this propaganda campaign, Dave, the last thing that they would ever want is a quote unquote free Cuba. They don't mm-hmm. want that. Cuba is just like Venezuela, just like a lot of other countries is way more useful, far more useful as a rallying point, as a as, as a as a foil, as something that that we can all hate together or or be be angry about together that we can use to peel off democrat voters here and there who might think that a Bernie Sanders style, you know, democrat is far too left, way too progressive. No, no, no. Soft on Cuba? No, I mean, look I've, I've voted Democrat for the, I don't know how many times I could tell you that I've heard this from people here in Miami, Dave, like Democrat, Democrats that I know. Look, I voted for every Democrat going back to Bill Clinton, but I'm sorry. You you know, Bernie Sanders said that the Cuban people have a high literacy rate. That's not allowed. You can't say things like that, even though sure. it is, it is patently true. Um, mm-hmm. Another the other thing is like, <laughs> that, like there are so many off ramps for this shit. It's, it's so internecine. It's so small and it's so like, like it's this little thing, like for you to really know the detail. It's like it's like knowing the details of Las Vegas's local music scene in the late '90s. It's this little small thing that you. The more it's like it gets more annoying the more you know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like f- like one of the things that that a rejoinder that a lot of my um, you know, Miami friends will tell me is be like, you know why they have that high Q- that, that high uh, that high rate of literacy in Cuba is because they get forced to read um, 
they get forced to read propaganda. Like that's how they get indoctrinated. That's how they learn how to read. And I just can't help but think like, what, what, do, what do we stand up and do every morning from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade? Like what kind of propaganda gets pumped into our heads? I was just reading mm -hmm. about all the shit that they're not allowed to teach in Texas now as of last week. They got rid of like, and I posted this, I think on Instagram or something or maybe on fleets or whatever. Um, like they can't learn about Frederick Douglass. They can't learn about the women's suffrage movement. They can't learn about um, Emmett Till. They can't learn about the civil rights era, Martin Luther King's uh, uh, letters from Selma jail. Um, like all of these things that are being deemed like we predicted, I think on a few episodes, a few months ago, we said all this shit is, everything is just going to be called um, fucking critical race theory, right? They're just going right. to call it all critical, critical race theory. I think it's hilarious that I have, friends people who i really care about who i love who will tell me like you you don't understand those people are being propagandized and then post hashtag sos cuba and go all in with these with with, with this propaganda campaign themselves and not be able to see that they're very real very legitimate um uh you know emotions are being exploited they're being exploited a year from now dave Cuba won't be free again. I put my my quotes on that free because what oh, yeah. what what they really mean what they really mean when they say free is like open for the U.S. to just do whatever they want, you know, and to, to come in and um, and and exploit. That Cuba won't be that in in a year. It won't be that in ten years because there's no politician, Democrat or Republican, that would ever give away that that little um, bad guy. That they get to keep mm -hmm. in their pocket and take out and beat up every once yeah. in a while. Nice Repub little boogeyman. Right. Republicans love it, like I said, to peel off a few Democrat voters um, on to their side and to also rile up their base of right. By the way, like if you go to one of the SOS Cuba campaign, um, SOS Cuba uh, prop, like um, protests here in Miami, which there are a lot. Yeah. Guess, guess who you're rubbing shoulders with? You might just be like a well-meaning Democrat, squishy liberal, you know, Joe Biden voter who happens to like also want to invade, um, invade Cuba to take back your, your, I guess your grandparents' land or whatever. You might just be that, right? One of my buddies. But guess who you're going to be rubbing elbows with in these protests? You're going to be rubbing elbows, elbows with the Proud Boys. Literally, the Proud Boys have been at every single one of these far right-wing militias, um, like white supremacy organizations. A thing that people don't know about the uh, the Latino community is that there's heavy duty intra, I guess, intra group racism. Like Latinos are incredibly racist. A lot, yeah. at, probably at the same clip that white people are. And yeah. the 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 like the focus on like the the slight differences in in tones of skin and the way that you're treated, particularly in a lot of um, uh, Latin American countries, and uh, you know, is um, it's on par with like Jim Crow South type shit. So I, I, I feel bad because I think like at, in one way I'm the asshole who's arguing or who's coming across as arguing with my friends or with people here in Miami who have a, uh, a I wouldn't say it's a vested interest. Their interest is not vested. They've been gone for 60 years, but have a, like a remnant of interest like a leftover mm -hmm. interest, a nostalgic interest, right? Yeah. I feel bad 
and I, one thing I try never to do is tell them what's up with with Cuba. Like this, I always try to frame when I'm making that arguments that I'm making right now. I make I, I make it as somebody whose family is from Puerto Rico and somebody who is an American, because what I don't want as an American is any more intervention. I'm tired of these humanitarian mis- missions. Every single time we go to try to give a country internet, which is the fucking thing, the, the new thing, like, oh, President Biden, give the Cuban people internet. Yeah, watch and see what that turns into. And by the way, how would, if, if like China just pulled a battleship up to like Los Angeles and started broadcasting shit to Los Angeles, how do you think we would react? We, we wouldn't allow that shit at all. Right. And yeah, but for some reason, we're, you, we're the US. Cuba is bad. They're bad. Mm-hmm. So we can do, you know, interventionist things like that. Um, we had the mayor of Miami, fucking Francis Suarez, the, the the Bitcoin mayor. We had him come out and say that we should not rule out missile strikes mm. against a, a country, a sovereign nation that is 90 miles away from us. 90 miles away from Key West. Yeah. That shit is closer to Key West than Key West is to Miami. Key West is like 100 miles from Miami. <laughs> like, so, I mean, just to give you an idea of the proximity and these, the, the, it's it's like, I haven't ever seen it at this fever pitch before, but this is one of those derangement syndromes that certain groups have. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I go back to what, the way that I started off this, 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 um, this episode, you're, you're, at this point, if you're just if you're reading anything, you're probably there's somebody trying to manipulate you, and you need to look past this stuff. You need to do reverse Google image searches. You need to look up who was the first person to use hashtags. You need to look at all of this stuff in a critical, unbelieving eye, and try to figure out the qui bono, the who, the who benefits, the Hugh benefits. My friend Hugh, he benefits from all of these things. Um, who benefits, right? <laughs> qui the fuck cares? Remember what's that from? What movie's that, dude? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Captain, we gotta think. Qui bono? Qui the fuck cares? <laughs> you don't what's remember? That no, what's that from? That's from The Departed. No, oh, is it? No, Qui gives a shit. That's what Alec Baldwin. He goes. I think it was. Uh, uh fuck. Who is it? Oh, it's Matt, it's Matt Damon's character trying Probably. to like. He's trying to throw off. He's trying to throw off Alec Baldwin and um. He's trying to throw off Alec Baldwin and uh, and fuck who was it? Uh, uh, Martin Sheen. The okay. two of them are kind of on to Jack Nicholson, and he's trying to throw them off the scent of Jack Nicholson. And he says something along the lines of like, "That doesn't make sense, Sergeant Major. Who we have to think to ourselves, qui bono? Who benefits?" And then Alec Baldwin's like, "Qui gives a shit." <laughs> <laughs> That rules. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, man. So that's what I've got on the whole Cuba thing. Um, I know that yeah. we. I, I wanted to wait a little bit until. Well, also like we were going to record last week and it didn't end up happening. And I have a little bit more spare time this week, and so I, I kind of wanted to. I, my I feel like and, the whole thing, like the whole thing that you just like talked about, uh, it it all kind of lets me off the hook for not having paid attention and gotten involved. Yeah. So. I yeah. mean, in a, in a way that that's that's you know public service announcement for me. So like, I, I I tried to write down some stuff with this and try to think of like what, 
because people like you hear what I'm all the stuff that we're talking about, and it's like again, like you know, we gives a shit. Who like what is the point of all of this? Yeah. And I, I I tried to kind of like distill it in my head, and what I came up with is something like this: the goal is basically to maintain the status quo, the way things are right now. Our country is anti-socialist it's anti-leftist it's one of the most far-right countries on the planet um and every once in a while i think like a chili you need to turn the 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 burner back on and reheat it and warm it back up to keep it going we have right now it's never like there's never been a better time in the history of our country to jump in all in on progressive leftist reforms we need that shit right now in so many different ways our country is falling apart in the seams at the seams in a way that the media has kind of inured us to over the last like 30 years but is so much more potent and dangerous than it's ever been but there are people right now this goes to like a bigger conversation and again it's a communications thing it's about managing messaging if you're able to stay on the front lines of denialism of something, you can continue to rake in profits in the short term. You can continue to make money. If you can continue to, that's why I, I say like the front lines of climate denialism right now, like with climate change specifically, is people who are doing a couple of different things. Number one, people who are saying things like, oh, well, you know, China and India need to clean up their act first, right? That's denialism. That's the new face yeah. of denialism. Instead of saying that there's no climate change, it's hopelessness. Well, you know, we can't do anything. Yeah. We're just 300 million people out of 7 billion. And then the other, ignoring the fact that we use more power than like all of the other countries. Um, sure. And then the other element of that is uh, incrementalism, right? Because if we're shell, shell oil, um, or wait, who was the one that you sent me the video of that had started like a, a, that had opened up the mouth of hell in the middle of the Gulf? I forget. Was that, it was, uh, was it Exxon or? Might have been Exxon. I forget. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll, let's slander all of them. Who gives a shit? Sure. Um, why not? <laughs> <laughs> they're not humans. Yeah. Um, but like, you, you know how those, those companies, all companies these days that do terrible things in the environment have these greenwashing arms where it's like shell green or shell environment and they'll do little pr things that like they'll they'll do pr campaigns that are dressed up like they're part of their business so they'll be like Mm -hmm. we have a new renewables division and they'll have like a slick video that they share on social media about like wind driven robots or some shit and everybody will be like oh cool that's neat look did you see what exxon is doing they have wind driven robots or some shit and they're not making money by making wind driven robots that's some shit that they spend money on to put on social media so they can just push things off for a few more days literally mm-hmm. just a few more days until you people come to your senses kick down the doors and 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 hang us by our fucking necks for what we've done like cute this SOS Cuba thing is exactly the same thing. It's a way of kind of pushing off the much needed day of reckoning, the much needed progressive reforms, keeping this unsustainable system sustainable for like just a little bit longer, squeeze a few more bucks out of it. Um, all these, all these like things that need to happen 
right? We can call mm-hmm. them a bunch of stuff, right? Because we do. We try to label everything. But if you're down here in Miami, what it all gets labeled as is socialism. And that's evil. Sure. It cannot be yeah. tolerated. Universal health care and living wages cannot be tolerated. That's that's socialism. Yeah. You can't have that. Uh, fully funded education. That's socialism. You know, making sure people have food to eat and a place to stay. That's socialism. You don't want to be a socialist, Dave. Don't, of don't course do that. Not. not. Not down here. Not in Florida. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's all just a delay campaign. All of these things pop up with intention. They're not organic. They aren't uh, ground swells. They aren't grassroots, whatever you want to call it. They have very specific uh, timing behind all of them. We were in a point that same week that SOS Cuba was popping off. There were like that, 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 you know, mouth of hell video was going around social media too, where we had lit the Gulf of the Gulf of uh, Mexico on fire. There was the, um, the, I think, I think the North pole was on fire. Canada was on fire. Uh, you know, there was like the, just all these calamities left and right to the point where you're just, you're born, you're burnt out. Like you can't even, I mean, here in Miami and, and there in Vegas, you guys were dealing with heat. That was just indescribable. Um, so it's just, it's, that's what, that's what it is. It's messaging. It's just trying to, you know, keep the wolves at bay a little bit longer. If we can keep Miami scared of socialists, Miami is the largest Democrat, um, you know, hold in Florida. And Florida is the largest swing state in the country. This is the shit that we always go back to, Dave, about how, like, what we are is broken. We're telling Mm. other countries about how to do democracy. And meanwhile, like, half of our presidents get elected with, like, a minority of the vote. And it's, 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 it's like, it's all designed to keep us, to keep our eye off the ball. And um, the thing that, like I said, that was so dispiriting about it is that it works so well. It works so well. I know Democrats here in Florida who swear up and down that anything resembling resembling socialism, fucking Bernie Sanders is the most evil fucking AOC or the most evil things on the fucking planet. All these fucking uh, squishy Democrats who for a bullshit promise about a place that they've never lived will sell out the progressive reforms that need to happen because it could be painted as being socialist. And that's just not viable down here because of reasons. So, yeah, that's my bit on Cuba, Dave. What do you got? I got nothing except for that I don't see a uh, a way to retrain that definition whatsoever. I think it's just something that they'll always uh, hate. And so it's like, how how do you engage with that, you know? How do you feel the need to get involved with that when there is no uh, changing of minds for generations, if ever? There was a hope. There was you can go back to like around twenty, like the, after after Obama's second election, when he won Florida for the second time in a row. There were these like slate of articles where people were talking about like, oh, the current Gen X millennial um, generations of Miami Cubans have not inherited their parents politics which everybody kind of assumed to be true because obama had cleaned up in miami so so strongly and he had done so well and he was 
as a candidate, at least in 2008, he was probably the furthest left again as a candidate, not as an actual, you know, president. Cause he, 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 his administration was to the right of Ronald Reagan. He was more conservative than Ronald Reagan as a president, but he ran as a firebrand leftist reform candidate, right? Hope and change. Yeah. Right. So, sure. and if that could win this scary black man with leftist ideas could win so convincingly in, in, in Miami, then, um, you know, it stands to reason that these, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 year old, uh, Cubans in Miami are maybe not, um, maybe they didn't absorb the politics of their, of their reliably conservative parents and grandparents. And then something happened, man. I don't know. What do you, what, what, what political phenomenon happened in between the years 2015 and 2017? What <laughs> one syllable, one named guy came along and changed the equation for fucking everything. What what guy has his name on the back of Dave? I'm not exaggerating. Thirty foot flags on the back of Ford F-150s here in Miami. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's no hills in Miami, Florida. There's no there isn't even an incline anywhere. There's not mountains. You don't need a fucking pickup truck. Why do you all you people have F-150s out here? But um, <laughs> but you see these like F-150s driving down Bird Road with thirty foot enormous flags for Donald Trump on them. And you're like, yeah, man, that's what fucking changed. That's what changed. Absolutely. Somebody (laughs) got him. Somebody fucking got him. (laughs) Trump 2024, I guess. I think about like, um, we were talking, you and I were chatting about how, uh, yeah, Trump 2024, Trump, Trump and DeSantis. Great great to know we'll be talking about that. For another years. 12 years, <laughs> he's going to pull an FDR and serve 11 and a half years or whatever. Um, no, it's funny because you and I were talking about that. H- I think it was you that I was chatting with the, about the, H- the HBO Max Woodstock doc, mm-hmm. which um, is good. Woodstock 99 doc. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Maybe we should do like a piecing it together or something different about that show. I don't know. Yeah. It was a TV show though. So it's episode one of a TV show. So I don't know if you would. One. I thought it was a one uh, one thing. I thought it was just a movie. Just one. Just yeah. It's just one of. It's an anthology. So that one. Was, oh okay. So next week it'll be I don't know something else like Velvet Underground or some shit. I don't know. Like mm. it'll be some different topic. But uh, but the episode one was Woodstock '99, and um, it was good. It was like, did, were you and I like aware of that? I don't remember even talking about Woodstock 99. Like there was no social media or Twitter to be like, Oh shit, look what's happening at Woodstock 99 right now. I was definitely aware of it at the time, but I don't really remember us talking about it. Did you ever debate internally, like maybe going or no, like was it that on your radar that you would get in a plane and go? No, no, it did. did, That didn't even seem like a a possibility. Yeah. Me neither. It didn't even seem like something that could happen from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But I bring it up to say this. They go deep into like what the crowd was at that place at, at that at you know at that music festival. That, by the way, I, again I have a million thoughts on this. I feel like another propaganda campaign was us like them making us think that Woodstock '99 was a failure. I feel like yeah. Woodstock '99 was probably the most honest and real music festival that ever happened. And <laughs> then at the, it's funny because not to spoil it, at the end they kind of compare it to. Um, the first Coachella, which happened two months later, mm. two months after Woodstock '99, was the first Coachella, and all of these people, especially fucking Moby, oh god, fucking Moby, dude. I stepped away from that documentary wanting to strangle Moby, forgetting how 
fucking insufferable and pretentious that guy is. The worst. Where he all he could talk about was like the moment I got there, I just had to leave. I told everybody in our group we need to get out of here as soon as we finished our set. I, I said we gotta go. Something's about to blow, and like go. we gotta fucking go. We gotta grow, and um, fucking Moby, and and then he, and then at the end he's talking about like Coachella represents everything that Woodstock Woodstock '99 wanted to be and couldn't, and he like is, and I'm like he's he's like um, espousing all the the I guess what he finds to be positive. Coachella to me seems like an Apple store. It's like if 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 a if a concert was an Apple store, mm-hmm. it, it's like the most obnoxious. It's like it's like walking through. It's like walking through the Bellagio fucking uh, flower. Um, what is that? The flower gardens in Bellagio. Uh-huh. Sure. It's like it's like overly. I don't know, man. I can't come up with the right adjectives. It's just like it's it's inorganic. It's bullshit. It feels bullshit, and it's only mm. for it's like let's be honest. It's only for rich people. Yeah. Right. At this point, what is a you know about this shit better than me? What is your all in if you're doing Coachella for the whole week or weekend or however long it is? Like what what what's what's what are you coming out in terms of uh, some scrilla some scratch? Yeah, How much hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, if not upwards of a thousand, if you're actually like drinking and partying the whole time. So. Let's say you do a premium experience at Coachella, whatever the top ten yeah. percent shit get to do, you could drop easily like twenty grand probably, right? On well, I mean nowadays, like yeah. Back then it was a little bit different, but yeah, nowadays probably. Yeah. See, and and the people that go to it willingly acquiesce to that. They love mm-hmm. it. They've bought in on that messaging. They're cool with it. They think it's cool. They think they're cool because they think it's cool. And I'm just like all of these young dudes cuz it's all young white dudes mostly for the most part that we're at um w- that we're at Woodstock 99 all rapists <laughs> all like of course <laughs> like horrible like grabbing which women's... is why it's such a uh, you know perfect uh microcosm of this country like it's 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 everything we are is that that do you do you know thing. what was missing cuz they show all these interviews with all those all the like the audience members and these like kind of dumbasses and i try to think of like all these guys that are like fuck that are like cut and like swole and like 19 years old 22 years old or whatever and uh and wearing like a backwards red yankees hat and just like going mm-hmm. crazy and um i'm kind of like describing myself at that age but like, i don't want to like sure uh yeah. but uh you know what's missing curiously absent from that period from from the all of the interviews and all of the interactions of the of the people that they show what's that politics Nobody yeah. had any politics. Nobody we, yeah, talked we didn't about talk it. about it at Nobody all. Nobody gave a shit about it. None of them cared. They were just like there to have fun, um, yep, fun and rock and roll and and be horrible and, and yeah and molest yeah. women and do and, terrible and things that. too. Like make make no mistake, these yeah. people are terrible. And it's my point is, it's funny because the nineteen year old guy there, I can completely see him being a thirty five year old MAGA guy. Mm-hmm. Like I know that those guys turned into MAGA guys. Not all of them, sure. obviously, but like it makes sense. And you're like, and you can feel, man. And like, that is half the country. Half the country, and yeah. and you can and you can look at those fresh faced, you know, standard definition videos of these kids, uh, in like the old whatever the fuck they used to mini DV or whatever, whatever they like. You, you know the look where it's like late '90s, early 2000s. Oh yeah, kind of grainy style. images, but it's still digital, but it's mm-hmm. grainy. Okay, like very low light type situations, whatever. You watch these videos and you hear these kids talk 
and you know what's in store for them. You know that in like a couple of years, it's going to be 9-11. You know what that's going to do to the country, what it's going to do to kids like them. What like That a huge hunk of them are going to like haul off and join the military and go off and, and in some weird... Because that was what I think a lot of that angst and anxiety and anger was about was a lack of purpose. There was no purpose in the 90s except to... Sure. Except to like maintain, just keep it going, right? We have this economy going. Every we, we don't know why we found like a magic, you know, the magic combination to to to, to you know shake the the bones and throw them onto the onto the table, and they came up in just the right way. That we're let's not fuck it up. Of course, it fucked itself up shortly mm-hmm. after that. But like all you guys, the next generation, all you have to do is perpetuate it. Keep it going. Do what mm-hmm. we did. Go to college. Work hard. You're gonna get the same shit that we had, and uh, obviously that all turned out to be a lie. And um, I think that, not to like get Fight Clubby on you, but like I think that a lot of what was going on in that moment with Woodstock '99 was a, a whole generation of people kind of starting to see that that was a lie, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't gonna be like that for them. And I don't know, man. For some reason, it gives me it gives me like. There's there's allusions to that and what's happening right now. You know, it really it really makes you want to break stuff. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs>